Did you know that there's a relationship between the charismatic movement, the Vatican, the false prophet of Revelation 13, and the coming Christian nationalist worldwide empire? Well, now you will. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's show. This is the Dance of Life podcast, and my name is Tudor Alexander. Thanks so much for being with me today. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe on my website. That's the easiest way to stay in touch, get up-to-date news and updates and emails, because you just never know what these platforms, especially as we discuss some very interesting and often controversial topics, as I have done so far, and I intend on doing even more and more, so you just never know because I just don't trust these platforms. But today we're going to cover a lot of very interesting things. I hope they're going to be interesting to you. They're very interesting to me, but hopefully they're going to be interesting to you too, because they are things that nobody is really talking about. And this is why I make it a point to pick out these very unique headlines. And it's not like they're unique in the sense that nobody can find them. It's just nobody's talking about them. Nobody's talking about these things. So hopefully today you will find them as interesting as I do and you will learn, you will learn the truth. Because again, for me, these news updates that I do on Wednesdays are not about covering every single major news story. They're about covering things to make you think so that you have the ability to discern and critical think as you move forward and as more things happen. I have an end time series with many, many episodes. Probably I'd say, you know, it's as comprehensive as you can get. Of course, nobody knows everything, but I'd say that end time series I produced is very, very comprehensive. Nevertheless, I don't know how it's all going to play out. Nobody does. Nobody knows how the actual mark of the beast is going to roll out, how it's going to be enforced. We can take good educated guesses, but nobody really knows until we get there. But if you are barking up the wrong tree in your eschatology, and you are looking at Israel, 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 and what Israel's doing, and they're the people of the Middle East, they're God's prophetic compass, and all these things that people tell you these days, then you will be deceived, unfortunately. So I hope you're not going to be one of those people, because there are a lot of people like that, that are barking up the wrong tree. But if you know your history, if you've watched my End Time series, especially the episodes like The Counterfeit Spirit, The Image of the Beast, The Second Beast, All of those are going to be extremely relevant to today. If you haven't watched my series, if you haven't watched the episodes just listed, they're towards the end of the series, and for good reason, because you need a lot of context to understand those things, specifically understanding the book of Daniel. But nevertheless, if you haven't watched these things, then today will hopefully be educating for you. If you have end times views that you are committed to, that are very futurist, dispensationalist, Israel-focused, then you probably won't like what I have to say, or you you might not even get it. You might not get the impact. You might disagree. So I hope that today will be an eye-opener for you either way, because nonetheless, these things are very, very poorly talked about. Nobody's talking about them. And that's the nature of the truth, isn't it? The truth is not a popular thing. It's very controversial. It's very, you know, chided by people. People reject the truth often, and not too many people discuss the truth. So I hope you'll join me in being one of them. Also, go check out the news archive on my website. You can check that out. Just basically go to the website, danceoflife.com, look at the news tab. You can basically have a great search engine. You can search any you know keyword topic type of thing and see what pops up. 
there's a lot of recent, very good updates, or you can see basically all the news updates I've created in the last, whatever, how many, at the time of this video, it's been a couple months now, but I'm sure more and more people will watch this. So ultimately, the point is, go back and reference some of these, because I talk about these types of topics we're talking about today, which is Christian nationalism, the coming Christian nationalist, New World Order. Now, if you've never heard of that, because you think the New World Order is a dark communist, you know, maybe even Muslim or something, you know, New World Order, then you're mistaken. The New World Order, according to the Bible, will be a Christian nationalist system. And there's a lot of documentation for that. We're going to be looking at that today. So if that's news to you, then go back into that news archive and look at the previous episodes. Check out the previous, you know, uh, episodes on this topic, especially because there's a lot of them dealing with the Pope, dealing with ecumenism, with rising Christian nationalist sentiments, looking even at Christian Zionism, believe it or not, which is very, it's interesting that these two, there's a relationship between the two. I cover that as well. So go check those out. And, you know, basically today we're going to be looking at some things that are related to this topic of Christian nationalism. And we're, we're going to see how a lot of different things that maybe don't seem like they are related at first, how they actually are very related, believe it or not. And that's the charismatic movement, the Vatican, the false prophet, which is the United States, spoiler alert, and this coming Christian nationalist empire that is going to take over the world and people will think it's a good thing. It will be embraced. It's not... Here's the thing that people don't understand. People think that there is this oppressive, obvious evil that is coming, and that if we resist it, then we're going to win, we the people. When in fact, the thing that's coming will be embraced by people. This is what the Bible tells you, that the world will marvel after the beast and gladly take its mark, that the kings of the earth will give their power to Mystery Babylon. And of course, if you know who Mystery Babylon is, it's not Jerusalem, it's not the United States. It's the city of Rome. It's Vatican. It's the Church of Rome. It's the Pope. It's the whole Catholic system. So today I hope that it'll be an eye-opener for you. And I have plenty of other days like this planned in the future. So stay tuned and go back again to that news archive and check it out. Go watch the End Time series. Learn. Get edified because nobody's talking about this stuff. It's really sad to me. It really is. That's why I'm so committed to this because it's like, Okay, I have to talk because nobody is talking about these very important things and feeding people good knowledge. But today we have a lot of things to cover, very interesting stuff, and we're going to start with a video that will kind of set the stage. We're going to we're going to look at this video from a guy. I just I get these things and people send them to me. And this is this is on Facebook. It's one of these reels, but it's again, these things just are conversation starters. So we're going to we're going to take a look at this video. Let me put my headphones on. All right, let's give it a little refresh so it starts. Here we go. Those who don't believe in speaking in tongues, science proves that it's real. They science. scanned the man's brain while he was speaking English and while he was speaking in tongues, and look what happened. This is the first scan when he was in prayer speaking in English. This is the second scan when he is praying in tongues. 
Pastor Stoltzfus's scans show that his frontal lobe, the part of the brain that controls language, was active when he prayed in English, but for the most part, it fell quiet when he prayed in tongues. It's true, the Bible says when you're praying in tongues, it's not you praying, but it's the Spirit praying out of you. For those who don't believe in... Okay, so, all right, so what do you make of that? Science proves that speaking in tongues is legit, that the Bible is right about speaking in tongues. Is this what we make out of it? And ultimately, we have to question everything. We have to test not just the spirits, but you have to test what's presented to you, especially in a day and age where information is so easily twisted. Now, from a strictly scientific perspective, I hope that you see the problem with this study. And if you've ever looked into study designs or... I know that with my health certification, I've done a lot of articles on health and I've written a book on health, done some health coaching. Science for me, understanding the scientific method, understanding study design flaws, all these types of things were very much in my mind for many years. Now, if you haven't had any experience with that, that's okay. The, the, the thing with science is this, you have to be able to isolate what you're testing. That's like one of the basic rules of the scientific method. And you have to understand, okay, the results that I got, are they attributable to anything else? Is there anything else that could have caused these results? If you don't ask that question, then you're very likely to make an assumption. Now, of course, you have to make assumptions by default, but you have to really learn to control those assumptions and to question those assumptions. The problem with this study, there's a lot of problems with this study, but here's the thing. If, if Christianity is going to claim that it's evidence-based, which it is, I'm a Christian because of the evidence, and hopefully you should be too. You should have evidence for your faith so that you stand on the rock of truth and of evidence. There is, of course, subjective evidence that we all have, but you have to have at least a cursory understanding of apologetics, of why the crucifixion is reliable, why it's true, why the Bible is reliable, why it's true. You should know some of that stuff so that you understand your faith because Christianity is evidence-based. But if we're going to make evidence-based claims of Christianity, these types of videos, which you just saw, are exactly the problem that people that don't believe in God, atheists who are bitter against religion of any kind, Christianity, of course, is not a religion. It's, it's a way of life. But either way, it gets lumped in there. And atheists who reject religion and criticize religion or other people who criticize Christianity have low-hanging fruit with this kind of stuff that they can say, are you kidding me? This is not science at all for many, for many reasons. Because when you scan someone's brain doing different things, it doesn't prove anything. It really doesn't. It doesn't prove that there are, you know, speaking in tongues is happening in their brain because there are many types of spiritual experiences that people have. That person could have been channeling a demon. How do you know that? Does the scan tell you whether they're channeling a demon? And a demon is basically, you know, going into their mind and giving them this gibberish to, to, to speak? Do you ever ask yourself that? This is the problem. Of course, the scan is not going to tell you that. There, there is something that changes in the brain during a spiritual experience, but there are many kinds of spiritual experiences. If you've ever looked into Kundalini, which we're going to look in today... Those people are having a spiritual experience, but is it from God? Is it the Holy Spirit? Of course not. It's the Antichrist spirit that's giving them a spiritual experience. And I'm sure if you scan those people's brains, they would be very much alive and well and, and you know, doing 
very strange things probably. So someone looking at this has very low hanging fruit. Now, another issue is that people like these YouTubers who are very overly excited are basically just discrediting not only themselves, and charismatic movement is very easy to discredit because it's just based on nonsense, but they're discrediting themselves. And, and along with that, to people that are atheists, they're discrediting Christianity. So these types of things should be very carefully examined. Charismatics in general, like this excited young gentleman in this video, lack discernment. You lack discernment if you're looking at this and saying, see, absolute proof to speaking in tongues is... You know, that's it. There's a scan that proves this speaking in tongues is happening. It's, it's from God. Well, wait a minute. What assumptions? This is another thing I, I hope to impress upon you today as we go into these articles and other very important information. What assumptions are underpinning your beliefs? You should always ask, what assumptions am I making? Because you're always making an assumption. For example, people that believe in a rapture and they're arguing about a rapture and a lot of charismatics do. The assumption is that there is a rapture. The assumption is that the tribulation is seven years. What if the tribulation is not seven years? What if the tribulation has been happening since the cross? Then what do you do with that? Do you see how there's an assumption there that the tribulation is already seven years? Well, what if it's not? You ever ask yourself that if you believe in a rapture? What if the tribulation has actually been going on since the cross? What if you're wrong about the seven-year tribulation? That sort of dismantles the whole rapture thing automatically. Of course, there's other very important reasons that I cover in my end time series why the rapture is not going to happen. And probably it's going to lead to the great falling away that the Bible prophesied and the false teachers and false prophets and false converts. Not revival, which again, we'll look at today because all this charismatic stuff, believe it or not, is leading into this counterfeit system that is coming. It's really profound how it comes together. It really is. And I hope to show you, I go into great depth in my series. I really do. Those episodes I quoted for you, the, the counterfeit spirit, the, um, the second beast, the image of the beast. Those are very well-documented episodes. And you can see for yourself how this counterfeit system is forming. It's already, it's been forming for actually many decades, but it's now, it's really coming to a head in this generation, I believe. But really quick on speaking in tongues. If you if you aren't familiar with speaking in tongues, it's really, it's the Pentecostal charismatic practice of just uttering gibberish. Really, it's just uttering gibberish because biblical speaking in tongues has always been about speaking actual tongues, meaning Mandarin Chinese. Like if, if I started speaking Mandarin Chinese to you <clears throat> with perfect grammar and pronunciation, that would be speaking in tongues. But the modern version of Pentecostal nonsense, where you're giving your body to strange forces, is just rolling around and, and gibberish and, and saying just random guttural sounds. That's not speaking in tongues. In fact, even when you look at the verses in speaking in tongues, it's 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 13. Paul explicitly mentions that you, if you don't have anybody to interpret for you, you're not edifying anybody. You're better off just being quiet. You're better off just being quiet. And if you can't edify somebody with what you're speaking in, then don't bother. 
And what do people do today? They do the opposite of that. The Charismatics and Pentecostals do the opposite of that. Because again, you'll see how this ties into everything we're going to talk about today. It's this false counterfeit spirit that people are giving their bodies to. And it's a spirit of permissiveness, if you can understand what I'm saying. Opening yourself up to the spirit and just blah, 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 you know, whatever they do. I mean, it's just nonsense because you're giving your body not to the Holy Spirit, you're giving it to a foreign spirit, some sort of antichrist spirit. And this is the spirit that people are endeavoring in and, and glorifying with all of these different things. Because the Holy Spirit would never have you do, to, to speak gibberish, that's not a language, and to do it in such a way that attracts attention to yourself. That's not glorifying to God. And that's not edifying to the church, which are two prerequisites for anything real, if it's biblically speaking. Like, for example, at Pentecost in Acts 2, when, it, when the Holy Spirit came and people were speaking in tongues, they were speaking in actual tongues. Do you realize the, the, the significance of that? The reason what happened at Pentecost happened at Pentecost is because Pentecost is when all the Jews from different parts of the world Greece and you know, across the Mediterranean, whatever else, they were meeting in Jerusalem. And so they spoke different languages. It was a very multicultural holy day. And so God chose that, obviously, so that that would be a, a point of great conversion. Those people would go back to their countries and they would spread the gospel. That was the whole point. And in order to do that, there had to be a supernatural effect where they heard the gospel in their you know, native spoken tongue. In fact, that's that's what people were saying. Like, wait, how are we hearing these people speaking in our own language? They weren't they, they weren't hearing the apostles just utter gibberish. Even if they were uttering gibberish, there would have been an interpreter there. But you'd never see that. You see people talking in actual tongues. So all this stuff about speaking in tongues, you need to be very, very careful, friends, because we are influenced by both. The Holy Spirit, obviously, if you're a born-again believer, but we're also battling evil, dark spiritual forces that are trying to influence all the time. Now, I don't believe that a genuine born-again believer can have a demon. Of course, this is what charismatics believe. A lot of charismatics are over-spiritualizing everything. Oh, you must have a demon. That must be the demon of uh, depression, the demon of anxiety or whatever. Jezebel. These things are, this is... This is nonsense. It's all part of this counterfeit spirit where you're over-spiritualizing everything instead of looking at the word for discernment, looking at evidence for your beliefs. Everything becomes an internalized subjective experience. You'll see how all this plays into perfectly into the system that's coming. It's really, truly profound because the Catholic Church started the charismatic movement. We're going to look at that. But you need discernment because there are often dark powers that masquerade as angels of light, as good things. Certainly this is going to become more and more true as we move forward. And if you don't have discernment, you get tripped up by these types of situations and you think there's this eureka moment. You think that, oh my gosh, look, for example, science discovered speaking in tongues. Well, no, it didn't. All it proved was that there was a change in the brain. Now, we know that the, the mind is programmed for spiritual experience, but, but spiritual experiences aren't exclusive to God. 
people have demonic possession. People are going into trance and being influenced by demons all the time. Look at all the mystical practices, which we'll cover some of, of them today. I've talked about the Jesuit, you know, uh, Ignatius Loyola's spiritual exercises. That's related to Kundalini too. And you'll see again, you did this... This counterfeit spirit is nothing new, man. The Bible says, Ecclesiastes 1.9, one of my favorite verses of all time, there is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. This counterfeit spirit, which we're looking at today, there's nothing new about it. It's been going around for a long time through different packaging, different forms. I looked at, in my series, I talk about hesychasm with the Eastern Orthodox Church, which is... I don't know, something like 12th, 13th century, maybe. Then you see the mystical sects in Europe, like in Spain, like the Illuminados. Then Loyola takes that and develops his spiritual exercises. Later, the Catholic Church develops the charismatic movement. I mean, now you have full-blown, you know, nonsense with this counterfeit spirit that's just taking over the world through megachurches. And so we're reaching the pinnacle of this spiritual deception. So do not be deceived by charismatic nonsense and speaking in tongues and all of this Pentecostal stuff that's taken the world because it's not from God. When in Acts 2, when it, it quotes a prophecy by Joel that God says he's going to, in the latter days, he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. That is appropriated by Peter to the current time of the situation, because he was, the, the people there were getting mocked. They're like, well, what are these people doing? Are they drunk? And Peter's like, no, this is fulfilling the prophecy of Joel, which by the way, Joel prophesied about 800 years before Peter, give or take. And so, yeah, it was very much a future situation for Joel. So that prophecy has nothing to do with the end times. The, the, the prophecy in Acts 2 it's not really a prophecy in Acts 2 because Peter's quoting an older prophecy. But the words in Acts 2 about God pouring out his flesh are not talking about the future, the end times, about our generation where there's revival and charismatic, oh my gosh, everything's becoming spirit-filled. That's not what it's talking about because the Bible actually warns you, Matthew 24, false teachers, false prophets, false Christs, Revelation 13, the false prophet that's going to deceive people into building an image to the beast. People are going to worship the beast. There's going to be a great falling away. That's in Thessalonians. So how do you make sense of that if you believe that there is a revival that's coming? Either the Bible's right, and there's a lot of apostasy that's going to happen, meaning that what you see as revival is actually the false converts, the false system. Or the Bible's not right. Of course, that's impossible. So... This is how you use discernment. And what that means is that the things that you see that are Christianizing culture, that are making everything, oh, revival, it's, where's the next revival? What is happening with these things? What's really happening? Is revival really happening? When the Bible has such sharp words to tell you about the end times and the state of people's faith at the end times and how they're going to be deceived by all these different things. Very interesting, isn't it? But of course... Charismatics don't have very much discernment because they're all about the subjective experience. Now, a few channels I recommend if you're into learning a more learning more about this. There are some great channels on YouTube that cover charismatic stuff all the time. And they are Long for Truth, 
fighting for the faith and fight for truth. Those three channels have some great resources that they're, they're always covering charismatic nonsense. So if you want to learn more about this topic, they have a lot of great videos on these things. I really recommend them. They're very biblically sound. But moving on today, we're going to look at a lot of different things. And I mentioned that the, the Catholic Church created the charismatic movement. Now, this is on Wikipedia. Catholic charismatic renewal. Got a nice little sign there. And let's read a little bit about it. The Catholic charismatic renewal is a movement within the Catholic Church that is part of the wider charismatic movement across Christian churches. The renewal has been described as a current of grace. It began in 1967 when Catholics from Duquesne University attended Protestant worship. Isn't that interesting? And claimed to have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So interesting. It is heavily influenced by American Protestantism. Fascinating, isn't that? Especially evangelical Pentecostalism. Of course, if you know the history of Pentecostalism, which we'll see a little bit, this is nothing new under the sun. With an emphasis on having personal relationship with Jesus, deep emotional experiences, here you go, and expressing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Cardinal Leo Joseph Swinnens, which we're going to look at in just a little bit, described charismatic renewal as not a specific movement. And the renewal is not a movement in the common sociological sense. This is Jesuit talk if I ever heard it. It does not have founders. It does, it's not homogenous and it includes a great variety of realities. It is a current of grace, a renewing breath of the spirit for all members of the church, laity, religious priests, and bishops. It is a challenge for us all. One does not form part of the renewal. Rather, the renewal becomes a part of us, provided that we accept the grace that it offers us. Gosh, so fascinating if you really know your history and if you know who the Catholic Church is and what the what the Bible's prophesied. Like, if you know all that context, so fascinating to read this stuff. It really is. Catholics who practice charismatic worship usually hold prayer meetings outside of Mass that feature prophecy, faith healing, Glossolalia, which is blah, 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 blah. In Ann Arbor, Michigan, a Catholic church describes charismatic worship as uplifted hands during songs and audible praying in tongues. This is Catholic. This is Catholic we're talking about now. Very fascinating, isn't it? Of course, you can read more about it, and I cover quite a bit of it in my End Times series, which I highly recommend that you go see. But let's read about Cardinal Swenin's a little bit. Vatican, this is from a presentation. Cardinal Joseph Swenens, Templeton Prize recipient in 1976. He was also a Mason, by the way, if you didn't know that, being initiated on June 15, 1967. Chosen by the Pope to be one of the chief architects of the Vatican II meetings, he served on all four of its major committees. Very important, important person, Cardinal Swenens. Let's see what he says. Since I have had this charismatic experience, my allegiance to the Holy Father as the vicar of Christ, i.e. the person in place of Christ, my allegiance to the man of sin in the world has been heightened and strengthened. My appreciation for Mary as the co-redemptress and mediatoress of my salvation has been assured. My appreciation of the mass as the sacrifice of Christ has now been heightened. These I would say probably right here, this is the top three most blasphemous things about Catholicism. Now, here's a very important question for you. Do you think that the Holy Spirit would have guided this man into swearing his allegiance to the man of sin, acknowledging another mediator other than Christ, 
and what is the other one? The mass, the sacrifice of Jesus. When Jesus said it is finished, and the Bible tells you that there's only once for all sacrifice for the propitiation of sins. Do you think that the Holy Spirit would have guided this man? Doesn't matter the religion, the Holy Spirit can guide people, but do you think the Holy Spirit can guide this man, even though he's a Catholic, right? There are well-meaning Catholics. And this this is one thing I want to impress upon really, really um, importantly when I said that the Holy Spirit can guide you. There are well-meaning Catholics. There are well-meaning Eastern Orthodox that have a genuine trust in God. They're doing the best with the information they've been getting. You do not have to have perfect theology to be saved. You have to trust in Christ. Now, for people who are in the Catholic Church, who people who are in the Eastern Orthodox Church, and I know people like this. I went to Catholic schools. I used to be Eastern Orthodox. So I'm not judging. For those people, there are deceptions that they are wrapped up in, unfortunately, that distract them from a full experience of Christ. Nevertheless, the Holy Spirit can guide people, and God has a different plan for everybody. But how do you know if the Holy Spirit is guiding you is the question. The Holy Spirit will guide you to testify of Christ, to trust in Christ, to follow Jesus, to believe that Jesus is God. God, The Holy Spirit will guide you those things. You don't have to be a Protestant to believe that. You can be a Catholic and, and, and the Holy Spirit can guide you into a humble, trusting life with Christ. Now, you will be deceived on several things, and we don't know the state of the heart, so it's not for us to be rash and say, Catholics aren't saved. They need to repent and believe the gospel. Yeah, well, probably there's a lot of Catholics who aren't saved. But that doesn't mean that every single Catholic isn't saved. I don't believe that personally, because we don't know who God chooses to save. He says, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And we know that you do not need perfect theology to be saved. If you did, no, nobody would be saved. So I don't believe people like John MacArthur who say that Catholics aren't saved at all. No, no Catholic is saved whatsoever. I just don't believe that. I don't think you should either. But again, moving on, the point is that this man being a Catholic doesn't necessarily mean he can't be moved by the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that. However, how do you know? How do you know if the Holy Spirit is moving in your life? This is a very important question, not just for this situation, but for everybody. How do you know? Well, you compare it to Scripture. This is why we have the testimony of the Word, because the Holy Spirit can't lie and he can't contradict himself. So now this man is telling you that since this charismatic experience, he's closer to the Pope. He's basically swearing allegiance to the man of sin who calls himself a Holy Father and sits between the cherubim, proclaiming to forgive sins. Antichrist in the flesh, man. Now, Antichrist, of course, is a general thing. It's not necessarily a specific person. But nonetheless, this charismatic experience made him to realize that there's Mary as a co-redeemer. So there's more than one redeemer. And that the Mass is a sacrifice of Christ. Like, yes, we sacrifice Jesus every Sunday. I realize that now. Is the Holy Spirit guiding you to believe such a thing? Now, if, if the answer isn't obvious, the answer is no. The Holy Spirit is not guiding you. Now, the question is then, who did guide you through this spiritual experience, which you obviously enjoyed? It was a very enjoyable, mind-altering experience. Do you see the danger here? Do you see the importance and why the charismatic movement has to be taken with exceeding discernment?
because the people who originated it did it for a very important reason. Now, in the Wikipedia article, it says that you know the, the Catholics came across the Pentecostals and that influenced the Catholic charismatic removal. If you know a little more beyond that with Pentecostalism and its roots in mysticism and Jesuits and the spiritual exercises, these things are very old. This idea of a spiritual experience and mystical experiences of the Holy Spirit and these, these surrenderings of your cognition to the Spirit. God wants you to be sober and alert because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. We have to have we have to be sober-minded. We have to use discernment. We have to have right judgment. But all of this, which is, again, nothing new under the sun, all these experiences have one thing in common. And the one thing they have in common is that they surrender your cognitive abilities. Don't think. Just just feel it. Just blah, 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 blah. You know, just whatever. Just whatever comes in your mind, just utter it. These experiences are about surrendering your mind, not actively meditating on the word. Very, very important. Because when you surrender, you're not surrendering to God. You're surrendering to an evil spirit, to an antichrist spirit. But that's Cardinal Joseph Swinton. He's a very influential person in this, in this thing. Now let's read about the Second Vatican Council and the Charismatic Renewal. This is Pope uh, John 23rd. On 25th January 1959, only two months after his election as Pope, John XXIII surprised the world by announcing the Council to give the Church the possibility to contribute more efficaciously to the solution of the problems of the modern age. My gosh, it just sounds, all this snake talk always sounds so good, doesn't it? The joyful echo brought about by its announcement, as well as the lively interest on the part of non-Catholics and even non-Christians, proved in the most eloquent manner in the historical importance of the event has not escaped anyone. The convocation of the charismatic renewal. This is, in other words, if, if you can't immediately filter through this snake talk, and I don't blame you because it's just like, again, if you don't have context for these things, this will just go right past your head. It really will, because the way that they speak is snake. Everything is just, oh gosh, it just melts in your ears. It sounds so good and generalized. But if you don't have context for the words that they use, then it'll just go in one ear out the other. In other words, we are creating a movement that will that will be the most ecumenical movement the world has ever seen. We're going to break past these denominational issues, and we're going to bring everybody back to the Mother Church. Not through dogma, because they can't. Not through doctrine, because they can't but through something that suspends your thinking so that you don't think about doctrine. You have a common spiritual experience. Do you see how everything works? Protestants and Catholics, oh, we worship the same God. We must have the same God because we can unite around spiritual experiences. Muslims can have spiritual experiences too. Jews been doing mysticism forever. Hindus, Buddhists, everybody has spiritual experience. We must all have the Holy Spirit. There's only one God, right? So must be the Holy Spirit that's, that's in charge of all these spiritual experiences. Do you see where this is going? This is the point with the charismatic movement, why it's so dangerous and why eventually it will lead to a one world Christian nationalist system. Gosh, it sounds so crazy just saying it. Here's another one. Vatican II said this about the charisms. And of course, these are all documented. You can look again. I've put them in my end time series, these slides from various presentations that are very well documented. 
But it says, quote, it is not only through the sacraments and the church ministries that the Holy Spirit sanctifies and leads the people of God. Immediate error. He distributes special graces among the faithful of every rank. Well, of course, the, the Spirit gives gifts to people, but let's, but let's look at this more closely. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone for profit. Of course, they're going to cite some scripture to you. These charismatic gifts, whether they be the most outstanding or the more simple and widely diffused, are to be received with thanksgiving and consolation, for they are exceedingly suitable and useful for the needs of the church. Of course they are. Do you see what's happening? This is a counterfeit spirit. The Holy Spirit would not be guiding you to ecumenism. The Holy Spirit would not be guiding you to join the Catholic Church. I can guarantee you that. The Holy Spirit would be telling you to get out of the Catholic Church and making you wake up to her blasphemous teachings. So if whatever is giving various spiritual experiences here is very useful to the Church, is it the Holy Spirit? The answer is no, it's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would never point you to the Catholic Church, ever. Now, if you're Catholic, again, I have nothing against you, but you need to wake up and realize that you are in the beast that Daniel and Revelation prophesied about, which is a Christian nationalist system. It is the institutionalization of Christianity into a fleshly counterfeit system. This is the devil's faith, the devil's religion. The devil's version of Christianity is Catholicism. And the world will marvel after Catholicism, believe it or not. Now, let's look at this. This is Catherine Coleman with the Pope. If you don't know who Catherine Coleman is, you're about to learn. 1972, Catherine Coleman was invited to meet with Pope Paul VI. The question is, why? There was a strong revival, there's the key word again, amongst the Catholics known as the Charismatic Movement. A group of growing Catholics who believed in the move of the Holy Spirit and did not worship idols. Catherine Coleman was a big influence in the group a group that is still thriving today. Catherine Coleman was a Jesuit, Jesuit operative. She's the founder of the faith healing movement. People like Benny Hinn were influenced by Catherine Coleman. So she was kind of like the first generation. Benny Hinn was the second generation. And that generation is now phasing out. Now we were going to have the, the next generation, which we'll see, we'll cover people like uh, Amanda Grace, I believe we're going to talk about and, you know, like a life surge, if you know what that is, we'll probably talk about at some point in time. There's just so much to talk about. There's so many of these things. They're just everywhere. But Catherine Coleman, you have to understand your history. Catherine Coleman and the Pope, very, very important bit of history. This is also another picture. This is a older picture. But again, you have to understand your history. This is David Duplessis in South Africa. These are all Protestants with the Pope, Pope Paul VI, again, right around the charismatic movement. And in South Africa, the, the influential people of, of the charismatic movement in that area were meeting with the Pope. Why, if you know, if you're a Protestant, okay, first off, let's, let's get some things straight here. If you're a Protestant, if you identify as a Protestant, I don't identify as anything, I'm non-denominational, but in sense, I do protest the Catholic Church. I think the Protestants, at essence, are correct. The Reformers were correct. They protested the system that they were under. I think that everybody should espouse that position. So in some sense, we are Protestant. But nonetheless, if you're Protestant, then you know that the, the Pope is the man of sin, that the Catholic system is the beast system that the, the book of Revelation and Daniel warned you about. 
how on earth can you take a picture with the Pope and to endorse him and to, to do these ecumenical things? It's not the Holy Spirit that's guiding you to do that because you have been blinded. Your discernment has been blinded by his light, by the false light of Lucifer. But anyway, these are important things to keep in mind. Here's another one that's very important. This is Richard Rohr. This is a an influential person, Franciscan friar and ecumenical teacher, Father Richard Rohr, bears witness to the deep wisdom of Christian mysticism and traditions of action and contemplation. Founder of the Center for Action and Contemplation. This is another buzzword. If you ever read it, contemplation is basically just mysticism. Father Richard teaches how God's grace guides us to our birthright as beings made of divine love. What does that mean, I wonder? He's the author of numerous books, including The Universal Christ, The Wisdom Pattern, Just This, and Falling Upward. Now, I'm sure you've probably read at least or heard of one of these books. They're very influential books. And let's see what Father Richard Rohr, we already know what he believes, but let's see what he thinks about the Pope. Statement from Richard Rohr after meeting Pope Francis. I am full of joy, ecstatic, even reflecting on my meeting with Pope Francis, which, by the way, is a Jesuit. Our conversation focused on how the rediscovery of the contemplative mind can serve the renewal of Christianity. This means renewal of Catholicism and healing of our world, i.e. bringing all powers to the Mother Church. Sitting across from each other, I shared with him about what God has done in my life. From my beginning as a charismatic, there's that key word, learning the healing power of heart-based devotional prayer. What does that even mean? Again, if you don't have context, this stuff just sounds just too good. To confronting the social justice issues, there's no such thing as social justice in the Bible, of our time through my travels around the world, to founding an organization for the teaching of action and contemplation. I consider putting those two back together to be historic and singular opportunity we have in this moment. Pope Francis listened to what I shared and seemed genuinely eager to encourage our work. I'm sure he did. I brought him a copy of Universal Christ, my end-of-life book, but he said he had already read it. Isn't that just, gosh, there's just two peas in a pod. And of course, Pope Francis has read it and agrees with it. He shared it three times very directly. I want you to keep doing what you're doing. Keep teaching what you're teaching. Of course, the man of sin is going to endorse Christian mysticism and New Age philosophy to bring about this one world system. Do you see what this what's happening here? Yeah, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great for the church. This is what we want. This is the new thing. It's not going to be a you know totalitarian thing. We're going to seduce people back into the mother church with this charismatic thing. Moving on. For this Catholic boy from Kansas, that this is a wonderful, hard-to-believe affirmation coming from the man of sin himself for the whole Christian contemplative movement. What is Christian contemplative movement? Do you do you ever ask yourself these these New agey, progressive, liberal types of terms that don't really mean it. They're not biblical terms. Contemplating or meditating in the Bible is to intently study the Word of God and to understand the meaning of the Word of God. It doesn't mean delving into your own consciousness. It doesn't mean doing trances, meditation, surrendering to charismatic experiences. These things are of the devil. They really are. And they're designed... Look, this is all coming full circle before we continue. This is all coming full circle. Now, what do I mean by that? In the beginning, what happened? Did, did the snake come to Eve in, in like a fire-breathing dragon form and say, you better eat that fruit or I'm going to kill you? 
Was it the dark approach? No, it was the light approach, dark to light. The light approach, it was, hey, I bet you could be just like God, slither, slither. It's going to be really good. And look at me, I'm so shiny and just so friendly. It was a seduction. He beguiled Eve. He deceived her. He didn't force her. He deceived her. Now, if you know your history, this dark to light dialectic has always happened. In the beginning in, in Christian history, the first two centuries of the church, people were getting brutally massacred and, and tortured to death and killed. But that wasn't working to eliminate Christianity. In fact, it was helping it because it was confirming that Christ is true, and it was helping people stay strong in their faith by being so oppressed. It was helping them realize the truth and spread the gospel. So the devil changed his tactic. He said, no, no, we can't do this. This is, this is not happening. We got to use the light. The dark didn't work, so let's use the light. And so Constantine came around with his vision, which I talk about, again, another spiritual experience. If you study that vision that he had at the bridge of... Uh, Midvian, Midvian Bridge, or Milvian, I forget the name of it exactly, but it's, he, he had a, a vision before the Battle of Milvian Bridge. And this vision wasn't of like Jesus, it was just a vision of the symbol of Jesus' name being put on shields and various items, i.e., go ahead, do a Christian nationalist system. Yeah, it's going to be a good thing. And he put Jesus' face on one side of a coin and the, the sun god on the other, he put his shields with like the Chiro symbol and they, they won the battle, of course. And so ultimately that encouraged him to create this Christian nationalist system in AD 321 when Christianity was legalized. And ever since then, it's become this light. It's this false light system, which is now coming to a head with the charismatic movement. People are going to be seduced into this system. What does the book of Revelation tell you? that people will be deceived into making an image of the beast. Well, what is the beast? The beast was a Christian nationalist empire under the papacy for almost 1,400 years. So an image to the beast is a representation of this system. People will build themselves a representation, i.e. they're going to make a Christian nationalist system yet again and pay their allegiance to it. But they're going to do it out of joy, out of thinking it's a good thing. How do you accomplish that with all that bloody history? Well, you just shift things over to the light. Spiritual experiences, the Holy Spirit is, everybody's doing the Holy Spirit now. Revival. You see how all this stuff just comes together? It's so very important to understand. I really, I really hope you understand. Now look at this. This is a book called The Pentecostal Thing in the Jesuits. Let's see. Here we go. Studies. In Spirituality of Jesuits, The Pentecostal Thing and the Jesuits. We're going to read just a little bit out of it, just a little bit. But this is a fascinating book, and there's many books like this. Again, if you know your history with uh, Ignatius of Loyola, the purpose of this essay is to make the reader, I'm just going to scroll here, wonder, wonder, uh, the purpose of this essay is to make the reader wonder. Wonder opens up minds, actually, let me just zoom up, there we go. Wonder opens up minds and our that are closed and focuses attention that are vagrant. Focus attention in the way that we want you to focus. The reader, is, it is hoped, will be induced, induced, look at that word, love that, to wonder about the 40 Jesuits whose experiences are narrated here and in turn about other things. 
Since their experiences are all Pentecostal, the reader will himself wonder what this small, relatively unidentifiable blip in our screens of religious phenomenology is. Yeah, I really wonder too. I wonder what's this all about. Those who are zealous for getting at the essences behind experiences will find a lot of data here for their ruminations. What does that even mean? Gosh, it's just such snake talk all the way through. But those who like having their data served up in tidy dishes of essences will have indigestion within the first few ladlings. It should be noted, first of all, that Pentecostalism is only one of the many questions about the relationship of the Holy Spirit to men to be mulled over. Given the scope of our paper, some brief observations about the Holy Spirit and Jesuits are in order. Let's see. Though notoriously divided in our views on practically every other subject, I think most Jesuits would be able to agree that Ignatius's uniqueness was due to his acquiescence in the movements of the Holy Spirit within him. Now, if you know anything about Ignatius, the Holy Spirit was not guiding Ignatius. So, there's that. Also, we would agree, I assume, that Ignatian spirituality has an unusual capacity for disposing the soul to become aware of and moved by the Holy Spirit. Again, if we're not, t- if we're not talking about the Holy Spirit here, so what spirit are they talking about? Who is the God that they worship, and who is the spirit that is influencing this? If the Ignatian charism or charism means anything to Jesuits, it means that we assign greater importance to charismatic activity than to the autogenic. In other words, that which the Holy Spirit prompts in us and others is to be preferred to the activities we are conscious of initiating on our own. Did you, did you get this last part? Meaning, the, the spiritual experiences you have via the spiritual exercises, Ignatian spirituality, are to be preferred over the conscious things that you come with day to day. Meaning, surrender your mind to this spirit. And if you know anything about those exercises, which I do cover in my series, they are all about mental submission. And finally, I think we will all agree that, that the detection of the prompt, promptings of the Holy Spirit is a work of the singular importance and that it has been made easier by reason of Ignatius's guidance in the area of discernment of spirits. Sure it has, discerning the spirit of the devil and following that spirit. Ignatius suffered as much from those who claimed that he was not being led by the spirit as he did from those members of the order who claimed that they were certainly being led by the spirit notwithstanding Ignatius' certainty that they were not. So a lot of internal, of course, if you know anything about the history of the Jesuits and just the two-headed snake of the Vatican and how there's just constant dialectics, there, there is to be expected division on these things. But isn't that interesting? The Pentecostal thing and the Jesuits, a very fascinating phenomenon that's happening. It's been happening for a while. Of course, the Jesuits have a history of spiritual charismatic experiences before the charismatic movement was ever even started. So this is nothing new. And the mystical exercises that Ignatius got, they weren't new either. He didn't just create them. He got them while he was in a cave. Now, if you know anything about that, like Muhammad and other people who have come up with all kinds of things when they went to caves, that's a pagan thing. Pagan mysticism. It's nothing new under the sun. But let's let's look at some articles This is the Pope's January prayer intention for gift of diversity in the church. Let us pray the Spirit, again, context. 
You have to understand context. What is the context when they say spirit? And if you know what you know, then you know what they're talking about. Let us pray that the Spirit helps us recognize the gift of different charisms within the Christian communities. Pay attention to this and to discover the richness of different ritual traditions within the Catholic Church, i.e., ecumenism outside and within the church. Everybody's invited to this new thing that's happening. In the video, the Pope urged Christians to unite our prayers to his, quote, for the gift of diversity in the church, since diversity is an opportunity to rejoice. Gift of God for the church. However, said the Pope, diversity in the church includes our brothers and sisters of different Christian confessions. Do you see how he just... He's a master of sleight of hand. If you don't pay attention to what he's saying, you easily get, you know, it's like those constrictor snakes. If you just sit there and you let it get around you slowly and you just get hypnotized, like in, uh, what is it, <laughs> Mowgli in the Book of the Jungle, where the, the snake is like looking at you and hypnotizing you while he's coiling around you to, to strangle you to death. However, the Pope, said the Pope, diversity in the church, meaning the Catholic church, includes our brothers and sisters of different Christian confessions. What does that even mean? We're not part of the church. If you're a Baptist, you're not part of the Catholic church, but to the Pope, that includes diversity within the church because it's the mother church. We're going to bring people back to the mother church. This is what's going to happen, folks. You got to wake up, stop watching Israel. To move forward on the journey of faith, we also need ecumenical dialogue. There it is. With our brothers and sisters of other confessions and Christian communities. This is not something confusing or disturbing, but it is a gift of God gives to the Christian community so that it might grow as one body, the body of Christ, i.e. the Catholic Church. Because if you were, he's true, we should have unity within the body of Christ. But the body of Christ is not the Catholic Church. The body of Christ is the body of faithful believers that God has chosen to save, the elect. That doesn't have a denomination, that doesn't have a institution, doesn't have a temple, doesn't have a building, doesn't have a location. That's the bride of Christ. But if you confuse the bride of Christ with the, with the harlot of Babylon, then you're up for all kinds of theological error. So be careful not to confuse the two. Of course, the man of sin will always present the harlot of Babylon as the bride of Christ. So this is very important. Pope Francis offered the example of the diversity of rites within the Eastern churches that are in, <coughs> that are in communion with Rome. Quote, they have their own traditions, their own char characteristic liturgical rites, yet they maintain the unity of the faith. They strengthen it, not divide it. Don't divide the body of Christ. You see, again, sleight of hand, snake talk. When he says, don't divide the body of Christ, I mean, he doesn't actually say that, but this is what's implied. Don't divide the body of Christ. Well, wait a minute. Before you let that snake coil around you, you should ask, who is the body of Christ? What do you mean by body of Christ? Do you mean the Catholic Church? The universal church as, a, as an institution? Then, yeah, I'm not going to unite in error. There should be division in the sense that I'm not going to walk with somebody that is antichrist. So you should separate yourself. God calls you to be holy, a holy set-apart people, not a people of the world that conforms for the sake of institutional unity. That's nonsense united by the Holy Spirit. In conclusion, the Holy Father recalled that all the Christian unity comes to us as a gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying that ecumenism, which is basically what he's always about, 
comes as a gift of the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit going to invite you or be a gift to you to unite with the Catholic Church? The answer is no. 100%, 1,000% no. That means that the Spirit he's talking about that is holy to him is not the Holy Spirit that you and I know about. Something to think about. Quote, if we are guided by the Holy Spirit, abundance, variety, and diversity never cause conflict. He said, the Holy Spirit reminds us first and foremost that we are children loved by God, everyone equal in God's love, and everyone different. Gosh, it just sounds so good if you have no biblical discernment. It really does. This is why most people, because they don't have biblical discernment, will marvel after the beast. Because this stuff is just so worldly and just so placating to the flesh. If we are guided by the Holy Spirit, abundance, variety, and diversity never cause conflict. Yes, they do. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword to put a man against his own household. Why? Because Jesus is, has the sword of truth. The scripture is the sword of truth. And the moment that you stand for truth, you are going to cause conflict, even within people around you, like your family. That's normal as part of the Christian life. If you are not causing any conflict with your beliefs, that's something to be worried about. That really is. He also said the Holy Spirit reminds us first and foremost that we are children loved by God, everyone equal in God's love, and everyone different. True. In some sense, it is true. He's not lying to you, but he's, again, he, the way he speaks, he always misappropriates what, what he's saying. That's by design. The, ch the, the children of God, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Absolutely. A born-again believer who has received the Spirit has the conviction of righteousness that he is a child of God or she is a child of God. But the way the Pope is using it is that everybody has the Holy Spirit and everybody, has, you know, we're just all children of God, which is not true. How do you become a child of God? You have to be adopted. How do you become adopted? Well, you have to be born again. And that doesn't mean going to a revival. That doesn't mean having a charismatic experience. It doesn't mean being part of the Catholic Church. It doesn't mean being baptized when you're an infant. It means coming to Christ through repentance and faith and, and forsaking the world and putting your trust and hope in Christ. Not in an institution, not in, you know, the, the Pope, not in, you know, your priest, but in Jesus Christ, who is the only mediator between God and man. But this is it. This is it. Now, I want to show you, this is a video, God. Oh, Lord. All right. We're going to watch this. This is now, we're, we're getting to the meat and potatoes here. This is a video of these charismatics. Again, there's this so much stuff like this on the internet. This is a charismatic situation. And we're going to watch it because it relates to what I want to show you, which is the Kundalini Yoga. And it's false counterfeit spirit invading the church. This is an ancient spirit of mysticism and all kinds of nasty stuff. But let's take a look at it. Look at this. If, if you don't think these people are possessed, just look at this. Rolling around uncontrollably. Now you're going to see some kundalini here soon. It's the same thing. It's a great video, by the way. You want to check out, I'm not going to watch the whole thing, but it's, he compares kundalini with, this is kundalini now, look. These people are demon-possessed, man. 
I mean, I, I would be creeped out if I was in there. <laughs> this is madness. Look at that. Involuntary shaking and jerking. Just look at these people. False teachers. They're, Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Look at these people. And look how many people are there. I mean, this is these are old videos. Thousands of people. This is Kundalini again. Look at them shaking. It's the same thing, people. Look at that. This is the Holy Spirit would never guide you to do such a thing. Ever. So anyway. You can you can watch this video. It's a really good video. Uh, I'll put it in the Or you actually can just look it up. Kundalini in the church masquerading as the Holy Spirit. It's a six minute video. It just compares all these mega churches, charismatic Pentecostal people just doing their thing and literally comparing them side by side with a kundalini uh, false spirit, false manifestations of the spirit. The Bible tells you to be sober-minded, controlled, just awake, to use the mind that God gave you, to be conscious, not to writhe on the floor and laugh hysterically, to speak in tongues, to shake your body, to give up your body to these spiritual experiences. And yet this is exactly what's taking over the world in different ways. Now there's the extreme version, which I just showed you in the video, which is obviously the same spirit that's in Kundalini. Now, if you know anything about Kundalini, Kundalini teaches there's a snake coiled in your spine and you got to release that snake. You got to release that snake. And when you do, man, that's just, everything just, so amazing, but you can also be very depressed and anxious. And you know, a lot of people commit suicide because they don't control it correctly, quote unquote correctly. I don't know if there's a correct way to control a demon, but this is the thing. And Kundalini is, it's an antichrist spirit. It's, it's the devil's spirit. I mean, the dead giveaway is that you're looking to release a snake in your body. If you have any shred of biblical discernment, you realize that these things are from the devil. They're from fallen angels. Now, if you see them side by side and you see the same thing and one person saying, well, this is the Holy Spirit. It's like, really? That's the Holy Spirit? The same thing like the pagans believe? I don't think so. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be holy. We're called to be not like the world. The world gives itself up to these demonic entities. Anything to do with your consciousness being surrendered? Yes, you should surrender to Christ, but that doesn't mean like be mindless. Christ never calls us to be mindless and to just sit in trances or to roll on the floor laughing, to utter gibberish, to do all these types of things. This is demonic. So you have to realize that this is demonic. However, the dangerous thing is that this is gripping the world. These charismatic experiences in different flavors are gripping the world. The one I showed you is very extreme. They're doing very bodily manifestations, but there's it's a, it's a spectrum. People go to worship events, revivals, and they, oh, oh my gosh, there's, there's something happening. Like, I guess I need to shake too. And the, the, the worship music's just taken over. And it's a culture 
of letting go of your mind. This is the culture. It's a culture of letting go of discernment. It is the ultimate seduction. Because when you let go of your discernment and you don't properly carry the word with you in your mind, the devil can come right in and work his seductive ideas. And a lot of people are being seduced by these through all these revivals and all the different things we're going to look at right now. This is Ark of Grace Ministries. If you know who this is, this is uh, Amanda Grace with Ark of Grace. I saw this on a social media platform called Frank Social recently, but I was like, this is very, this is very intriguing to me. Night of prayer for the Trump family and the nation. Again, if, if you don't have, through these episodes, I hope to give you spidey sense <laughs> and awareness. When you read a headline like this, your ears should go, Whoop. you know, like those sand foxes in the desert that have like ginormous ears. That's how you should be when you read something like this. Or those, uh, I forget what kind of rabbit it is, but you have just enormous ears. But yeah, be like that. When you see night of prayer, okay, night of prayer is totally normal. For the Trump family, hmm, American flag in the background, and the nation, we're uniting politics and faith, and American flag and prayer. What's going on here? This is, uh-oh, I need to look into this. This is not, not good. And if you don't see it, then you need to wake up because hopefully today will wake you up a little bit. But Amanda Grace, let's see, what, what is Amanda Grace? She's, if you type in Amanda Grace, N-A-R, New Apostolic Reformation, which is a heretical movement that's part of this charismatic wave, the, the, what, what did Swenon say, the um, current of grace? The current of grace that you don't know, it's not a movement, it's not led by anybody. It's very different, so that's Jesuit talk. It's just a current of grace. You just you just make it part of you. You know, if you, as long as you make it part of you, you choose to accept it, then yeah, it's just going to just integrate everything. See where this is going? But NAR is part of this thing. New Apostolic Reformation. People that call themselves prophets and apostles and all these types of things and declare and decree and, you know, give all these prophecies. If you type Amanda Grace NAR, you can see a lot about her. Prophetic perspective with Amanda Grace. You know, and, and people obviously have some debunking videos about her, but she has a lot of videos on prophetic message, anointing, this type of stuff. And if you type in Amanda Grace Reawaken America tour, let's look, I think I spelled it wrong, but she was part of the Reawaken America tour with Flynn and all these people who were basically pushing their version of Christian nationalism. We're going to talk about this in just a second. Michael Flynn, who was part of this, Calls for one religion at event that is a who's who for the new Christian right. Very interesting. Michael Flynn was at this. He was the one, one of the main organizers of this Reawaken America tour. What are they, what are they reawakening to, I wonder? You ever ask yourself that again? What, what are the assumptions behind your beliefs? When you say Reawaken America, oh, it sounds so good. Yeah, reawakening is good. Is it? Is reawakening good? Like, um, what kind of reawakening are we talking about? Are we talking about a return to Christian nationalism? That's not a good thing to awaken to that quote-unquote truth. It's not a truth. It's a lie. But you can you can create counterfeit awakenings. Do you realize that? By, by creating these dialectics of communism and atheism and big bad boogeyman of deep state, that's the enemy. 
So you got to wake up to the enemy. What's, what's waking up mean? Well, it means going back to religion, going back to Christian values. This country was a Christian nation. We need an army of God. Are you awakening to that? That means you're going to the other side of the dialectic. But let's see what, uh, what Flynn said. Speaking to the audience of Cornerstone, Flynn, who was subpoenaed recently by a house select committee, blah, 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 January 6th. If we are going to have one nation under God, which we must, Flynn says, we have to have one religion, <laughs> one nation under God and one religion under God to the applause of everybody there, I'm sure. Isn't that fascinating? One religion. We need one religion. This is the same Flynn who, at one of these events or somewhere, I don't remember exactly where, some huge church that he went to, invoked the seven rays and Archangel Michael, if you remember that whole deal. And if you know <laughs> where the seven rays come from, that's a Luciferian thing. In, in the occult, it's a Luci that's I was actually, I forget her name right now. She was an occult and mystic. She's passed away now, but she was very prominent in the 20th century as an occult and mystic. And she had a whole prayer to the seven rays, St. Germain and all these different things. And you could tell if you listen to that prayer, again, I forget her name right now, dang it. I'll, I'll post her image on the video. But if you watch her and you listen to her words, you, obviously she's like channeling either a fallen angel or the devil himself with with the way that she speaks. She, she says something, I remember from the speech, she's like, I will not give up. We will not back down. Like things that the Holy Spirit will never guide you to say. I am freeborn. Is that the Holy Spirit telling you to say that? I don't think so. And Flynn adopted that speech to his Christian nationalist event that he was at, one of these churches, mega churches, the seven rays, and people were praying along with him. I mean, what's going on? This guy wants a one religion in this country. He wants one religion in this country, and of course that religion was not going to be genuine biblical Christianity. It's going to be a new Christian nationalism. Because the false prophet is the United States, and the United States is the birthplace of this new system. The United States will convince the world that this new thing is going to be the thing that you need to do. And it's a good thing, and you need to adopt it. And all the rest of the world is going to follow after this system that's going to combine Christian nationalism with charismatic stuff with culture, everything is shaping in that direction. If this is news to you, I highly recommend that you check out some of my previous videos or my end time series. You will be very edified in the truth. That I can promise you. PBS, let's see what they say. Michael Flynn's reawakened roadshow recruits army of God. Let's see. We are under warfare, one speaker told them. Another said she would, quote, take a bullet from my nation while a third insisted they hate you because they hate Jesus. Do you see, I've talked about this article before, but do you see how, again, if you're not quick with your mind with discernment, like they hate you because they hate Jesus. What is the assumption in this, in this statement? The assumption is that you being a MAGA conservative is just like Jesus Christ, who came to die for everybody's sins. Do you see the association there? If you don't break these associations quickly with your discernment, they will just slip into your mind and then they'll get to work. 
That's why you have to question everything and be very shrewd when you evaluate such things. But moving on, attendees were told now is the time to, quote, put on the whole armor of God. Then retired three-star Army General Michael Flynn, the tour's biggest draw, invited people to be baptized. What is going on here? The, the Flynn who said we need one religion in this country, the Flynn who invoked the seven rays, which was plagiarized or borrowed, I should say, from a Luciferian cult leader, is inviting people to be baptized. What are they being baptized into is the question. One woman wore a t-shirt that read, Army of God. So what if, you, if you've ever actually seen this, I mean, of course, there is an armor of God in Ephesians. But if you see, if you just Google armor of, actually, let's just do it, because I want to show you this. This is armor of God, USA. Let's just say armor of God, actually images. If you look at these pictures, look at this. What are they a picture of? This is fascinating if you if you really understand this. Look at this cross. Do you see this cross here? Now, if you if you're listening to this, just Google it for yourself and look look for yourself. Armor of God. Look at this. What is this a picture of? I'm going to give you a couple seconds to see if you can guess it. Armor of God. Look at that. That's that's a Roman freaking soldier. Look at that. This is a crusader, a Roman crusader, Roman Catholic crusader, Roman soldiers, people kneeling with. Medieval English armor. This is not what Paul had in mind when he told you to put on the armor of God. It was a spiritual reality. These are crusaders and Roman soldiers and with Roman crusader crosses putting on the armor of God. Do you see how this has become a counterfeit? How it's become a fleshly? Again, the the devil is always going to bring your attention to the flesh. Put on the armor of God. What is the armor of God? Is it a t-shirt with a Picture of a crusader kneeling down, bowing to the Pope, basically. Is that the armor of God? Now you're armored up. Armored up Christian soldiers. Do you see where this is going? It is such a deception because people lust after the flesh. We lust after physical things and physical signs. Now that I have my t-shirt with a medieval warrior that's a crusader or a Roman soldier, now I feel really protected. I've got the armor of God on. Yes, I believe in... The armor of God. The armor of God is a spiritual is a spiritual thing. Just like the sword is the sword of truth. It's the word that cuts through everything if you use it correctly. But if you are seduced into these things, you 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 get snared very easily because you don't have discernment. You're not using the sword correctly. So Michael Flynn is is spearheading this Christian nationalist movement, which Amanda Grace, a couple articles previously who is an NAR charismatic, was giving, she was there at this event, this reawakening tour, she's one of the main speakers, and she's the one leading a prayer night for Trump and for the nation. You don't see people like Vadi Bauckham, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul is dead, but you know, you don't see these theologians, people who are actually solid in their scripture doing such things. All the time when you see these worldly things like the Reawaken America tour or, you know, these unions of politics with faith, with religion, really, it's always the charismatics, always the people that have the worst theology. Now, you have to ask yourself, is this by accident, like, or is it by design? Now, if you know your history, the answer is it is by design. 
And the Bible predicted it a long time ago, folks. The Bible said that the false prophet will be the one that convinces the world by false signs and wonders. This is what all these things are. There's false signs and wonders. They'll be convinced and deceived. I should say that's the more appropriate word because that's what it says. They'll be deceived into building an image to the beast, meaning they'll build a representation of a Catholic Christian nationalist system that used to be on the earth. They're going to make a new version of it, and they're going to deceive the world into adopting this system. And eventually that will be the way that the mark of the beast, meaning obedience to this system, will be rolled out. Imagine all these fanatical Christian nationalists that say, we need to have one religion. How fanatical they're going to be. Do you think history is not going to repeat itself when the Crusades and Inquisition killed so many people that didn't pledge allegiance to the Pope? When the Sunday laws were implemented, and if you didn't worship on Sunday, you were basically sanctioned or killed? When all these different things happen in history, when, when the power that the prophets warned you about demanded worship, and if you didn't worship, you got ostracized or killed, do you think that's not going to happen again? It will. The Bible tells you it will. And it's going to happen this time with this charismatic thing that's sweeping the nation that is relegating everybody to spiritual experiences. We need one religion. Well, what religion is that? They're not going to say we need Catholicism. That's, yeah, that's old news. We don't want that. We want this new thing. But the new thing is Catholicism. It's mystical Catholicism. It's a worldly universal church. The true universal church is the body of believers from all nations that God has chosen to save. That is the true universal church. But the counterfeit universal church is a fleshly institution that is going to take over the world and demand allegiance because all these fanatical Christian nationalists, when they implement their system, if you don't go along with it, they're going to be the first, I guarantee you, they're going to be the first to call you a heretic and froth at the mouth to give you the death penalty because you are fighting against God. You're part of the dark that, that we got rid of. You, you're just one of those people that are trying to fight this new thing, this move of the Holy Spirit. Do you see how all of this comes together? This one's from CBN. There is revival. Evangelist has never seen anything like spiritual reformation sweeping America. Yes, there is a spiritual reformation sweeping America. It's not a good thing, but it is sweeping America. CBN, of course, very Christian nationalist oriented, very much part of the beast system that's coming. Evangelist Nick Hall has spoken to thousands around the U.S. bringing the gospel to members of every generation. But his new mission is a more pointed effort. It's an interesting phrase. Hall, founder of Pulse, a global evangelistic organization, is embarking on a multi-year effort to bring biblical truth to every corner of, the, of North Dakota. He recently spoke with CBN Digital about some of the powerful moments of spiritual revival he observed throughout 2023. From the Asbury outpouring to the historic mass baptisms, many preachers have felt a spiritual stirring in America. Gosh, something's shifting. With Hall explaining what he believes is unfolding. Let's see. I think we're in the middle of a reformation of sorts. Isn't that interesting that they use that word? It's a counterfeit reformation to 
undo the count the, uh, to undo the reformation that actually happened five years 500 years ago if you know your history you know that the counter reformation was established and now this reformation in quotation marks is going to be the way that they finally seal the deal and they accomplish their purpose of destroying the true reformation with their counter reformation so yeah a reformation is happening but not a good one I think there's a shift happening. He's right. A lot of the things that we've put our hope in for a long time aren't working. And I think God is using that to draw many people to himself. Once in a generation marking, the music stops and 50,000 keep on singing. Is this, let me ask you, I mean, there's some more here I want to read, but is this, how do you how do you know if it's a move of God? This is the question to ask yourself all the time. How do you know it's a move of God? Notice without a without a doubt every single time that all of these charismatic experiences they always use fleshly physical things as a definition of a move of God. All the time, guaranteed. Not a single time have I personally maybe there have but have I personally ever seen and I've looked at a lot of this stuff have I ever seen a, a situation that's quote-unquote a move of God, but is evaluated in terms of repentance and faith? Yeah, people really got the gospel today that Jesus died for their sins as the propitiation that also vindicated God's glory because he passed over former sins. People really got that today. No, it's, 50, what does it say here? 50,000 kept on singing, oh my gosh. Worthy is the lamb, cry, 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 emoji face. Huge people showed up. This is a move of God that a lot of people are here. Is that a move of God that a lot of people... Now, of course, I'm not going to say that there aren't some people that are saved at these events. Because again, we don't know who God chooses to have mercy on. Even these types of really antichrist things, essentially, God will use for the good. God uses all things for the good, for those who are called. And so he will use it for the good to convict somebody and cause them to be born again, for sure. But by and large, is this how we should be evaluating a move of God? No, because these are fleshly, worldly things where tens of thousands of people are gathering and jumping up and down and having charismatic experiences. That's not a move of God. That is a move of the counterfeit spirit that's happening, which the Bible warns you about. Matthew 24, Thessalonians, Paul's letters, the time will come where people have itching ears, the great falling away, false Christ, false prophets, Revelation 13. The, the, the second beast is a false prophet and works false signs and wonders. This is part of the false signs and wonders that are being worked in the United States. The United States is the home of megachurches, the charismatic Pentecostal situation, you know, all this Christian nationalist stuff, Hollywood, which probably we'll have another episode to talk about in the near future, Jesuit Hollywood. All these things are part of the false signs and wonders that are being worked on the world to bring them into this new Christian nationalist system. Now, how it's going to work out exactly, who knows? I don't know. I know that this is one of the tangents. There's other political things that are happening too. I've talked about them. Trump will probably have a, a major role to play because he's he's the he's the man, he's the light bringer that they've chosen to to come back and spearhead this Christian nationalist system. He's surrounded by Christian nationalists. 
Now, if you know anything about Trump, he converted to Judaism, supposedly, in 2017. So that's interesting. But nonetheless, he's the, he's the light that people are looking to. Trump, he's the one that's going to save us. And many of these people are very deceived because they don't read the Bible, they don't read and understand the end times. So I hope you're not one of them. But this is false signs and wonders. There's more to read about this. With so many coming to Jesus, again, how do you know if they've actually come to Jesus when the Bible tells you there's so many false converts that most of the people that receive the word either abandon it when persecution comes or when they get choked by the cares of the world? How do you know? With so many people coming in, how do you know? This is the assumption that you have to question. Hall said he believes we're seeing an awakening moment. There's that word again, awakening. Awakening is a new age Gnostic term. You reawaken America, meaning you're going to have a mystical experience. Do you see where this is going? This is a Gnostic dark to light grand initiation done over a country, and eventually it's going to be done over the world. We the people, this whole movement that's happening, that's very right-wing, that's very conservative, that's very Christian nationalist, very charismatic, it's all coming to one awakening. It's the great awakening. But you're not awakening to the gospel. You're awakening in the Gnostic sense. You're awakening to a mystical experience, and it's all going to bring everybody together into this experience, this common experience that everybody can have which is a surrender of the cognitive capacities, a surrender of objective truth, i.e. the word of God, and an acceptance of ecumenism, an acceptance of spiritual experiences, common spiritual experiences, and union. Very, very, very dangerous. Awakening moment in which a plethora of young people happen to be on the front lines. Of course, it's a bunch of young people that don't have discernment. There really is revival, Hull said. You hear this word thrown around all the time. Yes, you do. But man, I've never seen anything like it. He continued, I think people are more open. There's the word that you have to be looking for. I think people are more hungry for the gospel than they've been in decades. So here again, it's one of those things that fox, fox ears, you got to perk up when you hear this stuff. When you hear him, talking about all this charismatic stuff that is obviously false. And then he inserts the gospel. What does that tell you about this particular evangelist's discernment? I don't even have to know he's a charismatic. It tells you he's a charismatic. It tells you he doesn't understand discernment because the gospel is not people going to revivals and having worship songs and having charismatic experiences. That's not the gospel. No, the gospel is the knowledge that Jesus Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures. And you rose on the third day, and by having faith and trust in him, you will resurrect when the world is to be judged. That is the gospel. It's repenting of your unbelief and trusting Christ with your life, with your world, with everything that you're doing, and turning away from the world. It's reading the scriptures and being familiar with what Christ said, so that you understand his character understanding his word. These are the things we have to be focusing on. And certainly if you're going to be evaluating whether people come to the gospel or not, that's where you should be looking. Not whether they came to a concert, attended a revival, got baptized at that revival, or any number of other charismatic type of things. Those are physical measurements. Do you see again how you're measuring 
being born again through the physical? Who originated that practice, by the way? Who originated the idea that to be born again, or I should say to be saved, let's put it that way, that's even more down to the point, that to be saved, you have to measure that through a physical experience. Who originated that idea? The answer is the Catholic Church through its infant baptism and confirmation. You're, you're part of the church, so now you're saved. If you're not part of the church, you're not saved. Well, how do you measure if you're saved? Well, there's a physical measurement for that, according to the Catholic Church. You have to be baptized in as an infant, and you have to be confirmed in the church. So you're part of the church, you're saved. But what does the Bible tell you? The Bible tells you that to be born again is a move of the Holy Spirit, a genuine move that you don't control. And it's manifested in true repentance and faith in Christ with a new heart, with new desires that you can, you can see in your life. New, new works that want to please God, new ways of thinking and doing things, less worldliness, the ability to choose differently. That's how it's manifested. Not by getting baptized at a revival event, not by attending a worship seminar or whatever, not by going to a concert, not by going to a giant megachurch, not by going to a revival, not by shaking. All these things are physical. So who originated that and where does it come from? It comes from Mystery Babylon. That's why this is all part of the plan. And if you don't have discernment, then you will get snared very easily. This is another one <laughs> that I that I found, which is actually very interesting because on the cover of this, uh, on this cover of this video, I put the Pope with his dove offering the, you know, little peace dove that he tends to offer every year or whatever he does. And there's an article that's very fascinating. The Pope's doves of peace attacked by angry birds. And you have these angry, you know, whatever, ravens or something just attacking this dove, which if you have any shred of discernment, this is a move of God. This is a sign of God telling you that, you know, be done with, be done away with your false peace, your false unity, your ecumenism, the dove of peace, the false peace. You know, in Daniel, it says by peace, he will destroy many. And of course, this is the truth with the Pope and charismatic movement and all of these ecumenical efforts by peace, he will destroy many. The false golden age that's coming the false, possibly Christ, the false Christian nationalist system, the false counterfeit spirit that's coming, all of that is the true enemy. But that requires discernment. It doesn't require discernment for you to see that the deep state is evil and it's atheists and it's coming after your kids and they're trying to put them in sex changes and all these different things. That doesn't require discernment. That's the obvious low-hanging fruit. And the light side that is going to come into power is using the dark side, throwing them under the bus to, to give you obvious low hanging fruit to build trust with you that the light side is the good guys that's coming in to change everything. But people forget that the Bible warns you of a worldwide system that will come to power and people will gladly be part of it. Meaning that in the context of scripture, what you're seeing is two bad guys going at it. And one of the bad guys is going to win. The light side, 
and they're going to convince people to adopt their values through all of this stuff, through charismatic nonsense. So ultimately, be careful, have discernment. This charismatic stuff is just the tip of the iceberg. I talk about that in greater detail in my end time series and the episodes I mentioned for you, like the counterfeit spirit, like the second beast, um, just a bunch of other ones, the image of the beast, even the French revolution, just all those things are so important for you to know. History is something people don't study, sadly, and they should because history repeats itself. So don't be fooled, stay wise and just take it easy. Use the, use the word of God as discernment for everything. And if you do, the sword of truth penetrates through everything and you will not be deceived.